You guys are quiet this morning. You guys okay? It's 70 degrees out in October. You have no reason to be bummed out. This, this never happens. And it's probably going to snow tomorrow, so get your fix. I'm just telling you, it just happens. You know, it just, it'll just snow. Uh, last week, we wrapped up this couple month series where we were talking about spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit, and um, it was really, really fruitful. It was an, an amazing time, and uh, even the prayer time at the end of service last week was really significant, and so I just thank you guys for being a part of that. Um, next week, we actually will have Guna. Uh, there's a new, a new missions organization that we're just now starting to get behind that um, a, a family in our church is very involved with. And the, the guy who oversees that organization on the ground in India will be here in the States next week. And so uh, we'll have him here to speak next weekend, and you'll hear more about the work that they're doing uh, in, 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 uh, sorry, in India, in Indonesia, India. In India, his name is Guna. And so next week we'll have the, just the gift of having him here with us. And so this week I thought I'd just take a week and speak to some things that kind of concern me in the church, as well as um, to give you guys an idea, some of those who are new to our church, to give you an idea of kind of some, some core pieces of who we are and why we started Anthem to begin with. And then the week after next, uh, we're going to jump into the book of Nehemiah, and that'll be about 16 weeks that we'll spend in the book of Nehemiah. So let me pray for us. We're going to be in Mark chapter 2, if you guys want to get your Bibles opened there. You can get them turned, and then let's pray. Go to the Lord. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We invite you to have your way in this place. We pray your spirit would move through this time. You'd move through your word. I pray, God, for our hearts to be opened to hear from you this morning. God, I thank you for your church. I thank you for a body of people, a family that you've brought together from all different walks of life. Um, Lord, I'm just so blessed to see a multitude of generations in this room and people that have come from all different backgrounds, and even people in this room that may not even know you or have committed their lives to you. But I thank, I thank you that they're here this morning. And I pray, Jesus, as we turn to your word this morning, and we talk about connection, and we talk about community and the church, that you give us your picture for your church and what this looks like for us to function together with one another in 2022 in Coeur d'Alene. Thank you for this morning, Jesus, in your name. Amen. We'll be in Mark chapter 2. Question just to kind of kick it off this morning for you guys. How many of you guys have a friend who's just a bad influence on you? There's only three of you. The only reason some of you didn't raise your hand is because that person's sitting next to you, right? Like, uh, oftentimes in, in my life, I have been that friend, just to be radically honest with you. I'm normally the guy that would be like, you know what we should do? And by we, I mean you. Um, this would be really funny. And, and so a couple instances of my life where that has um, raised some concern, just to kind of dig back into my past for you. I don't know if my brother said this morning. One time we were at uh, the fight for the fish. Do you guys know that basketball game, Lake City against Coeur d'Alene? My brother was a senior in high school, and I was sitting up in the stands with my brother and a couple of my friends, and... We had graduated a few years prior, and uh, it was during halftime, and there were some cheerleaders out there dancing on the, the court, and uh, 
my friend and I like leaned over and we're talking to one another. We're like, oh, it'd be so funny if your brother went out there and danced with the cheerleaders right now. And so that's what we asked him to do. You know, like, hey, you know what would be really funny is if you went out there and danced with those girls. And my brother went out there and within 15 seconds of being on the court, got pulled off the court by his arm, by the principal, as we just walked him and watched him get dragged off, drug off, and he was suspended from high school for it. And so it was a pretty significant moment. Um, another time, I was 18 years old, and this one I, I don't take a lot of pride in, but it's pretty hilarious looking back on it. Um, I was 18 years old. I just started interning at a church uh, with a youth pastor actually in town here. And this church had a big, we had a big bus. And this bus we would take to underserved parts of the community and went into Spokane sometimes. And we would set up and do basically like, um, like Bible camps for kids in these underserved neighborhoods. And so it was really awesome. We took about 40 kids, students over to Spokane set up in this neighborhood, spent this whole day doing like amazing ministry work. We get back in the bus and we're headed back into Idaho. And um, we had just crossed the border into Idaho and, and I was like, oh, you know, it'd be really funny is uh, we got all these Nerf guns. It'd be really funny to act like we're holding kids hostage on this bus. And, uh, and so we had a bunch of kids in the back of this bus, um, like we were tying them up and they were like, they were all high schoolers. And, they were, they were leaning against the, the window of the bus and they had like Nerf guns up against their head and were driving past these cars. And it was funny, people were like double taking. And then one of the kids was like, oh, you know what would be really funny is if we squirt taco sauce on the window and smear his head in it so it looks like blood. And so they did that and, and then we got, this is no joke, we got into Post Falls and all of a sudden we, we realized like there's nobody on the highways anymore. Like they're, they're totally clear. And there's a, there's a chain of cop cars behind us with their lights on. And they escorted us. Like two cop cars went in front of us. There was a couple behind us. They escorted this whole bus off of the highway in Post Falls. This was a horrible moment in youth ministry, you guys. Um, and we're like, oh, dang. You know, like this is, this is not good. And we get off, we get off the, uh, the, the freeway. The guy who's driving the bus has no idea what's going on in the back. He just knows, like, something's not right. And anyway, the, the police officer comes on the bus. We, have, we had word that, you know, we got calls in that there's hostages on this bus and that guns are being, kids are being held by gunpoint. And it's like, well, sorry, that was my idea. You know, like, it, that, it was such a stupid thing. But I often was the person that would be like, we should try this. And, and then... <laughs> Other people would do it, and it was really funny to watch. Um, but this morning, this, uh, to bring this all back around, um, I read an Andy Stanley quote recently where he said, your friends determine the quality and direction of your life. And I think that all of us in this room, like we know that to be true, right? Who we spend time with, who we allow to make up sort of our circle of people in our lives has a tremendous impact in both the trajectory and the quality of our life. Like, it's very impactful, the people that you surround yourself with. In the past, I've talked about the difference between church and rows and, and church and circles. It's been a while. But church and rows is sort of what we do here on Sunday morning, right? Where you come, you sit in rows, and you participate in this gathering like this. 
But the handicap of a gathering like this, church in rows, is that it lacks the ability to interact with one another. It lacks the ability to actually engage one another relationally, to build true community. Uh, the, the one another's that are spoken of in the New Testament can't happen in rows like this. They just can't. You can't encourage one another in rows. You can't be devoted to one another or honor one another, carry one another's burdens, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, serve one another, bear with one another, or forgive one another necessarily in rows. It happens in circles in life. And so that sort of transformative community, I would say, in circles happens with one another um, in, in these circles. And so I don't want to spend a ton, ton of time on this, but many will say, well, that's why Sunday gatherings in the format that we do them here shouldn't happen. And I would argue a little bit differently with you this morning. I think that there's value in gathering in rows, and I think that there's significance in gathering in circles, like pretty heavy significance in our gathering in circles. We're challenged in the book of Hebrews to not neglect the gathering together, to come together, as is the habit of some, but to encourage one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. As the end draws near, it's more significant and more important that we continue to come together. It's important for us to continue to prioritize even these gatherings on, the sun, on Sunday, as well as are coming together in smaller groups, in circles. We would call those community groups. And it's interesting in the book of Acts, in chapter two, you see that as the spirit fell upon the first century church, people began devoting their lives to Jesus. They didn't just gather in homes and break bread in circles and pray and study the apostles' teaching and pray and fellowship. It actually says they continued to attend the temple as well. There, there was an organized gathering of sorts that, that they committed themselves to outside of even coming around one another's tables in homes for meals. But there's something significant about this coming together in circles that really is so sweet. Like, I love coming together on Sundays. Like, I'm so encouraged I, by seeing you guys each and every week. Like it does something for my soul to come together to sing and to worship and to pray and to be with all of you every week, to take communion as a group with the church. It does something for my soul to watch people in this community be baptized and commit their lives to Jesus. There's something significant about it. But circles, these smaller groups in our lives through relationship is actually where life transformation happens. The nuts and bolts like happens in the Monday through Saturday in those circles. Circles are where we sort of pull back the facade and we dig into the nitty gritty. Like that's where life change happens. In Ecclesiastes, there's this passage that talks about how a cord of three strands is not easily broken. We were not designed for isolation. We were not designed to live this life solo. When we fall down, we need someone to help pick us back up. A couple months ago, we talked about the fact that the early church gathered not just simply once a week, but daily, and the Lord added to their numbers daily, it says, and they shared everything that they had in common so that nobody in their midst had a need. They, they literally lived life together. And this is because circles are better than rows. Like there's something significant about that. True belonging with one another happens in these circles. This is how you're truly known and how you can know others. But quick show of hands, how many of you have ever heard the phrase circle of influence? Most of you, right? 
I've never heard anyone say that this is my row of influence. We always speak about it in a circle. We talk about the circle. In fact, even last night, my wife went to a dinner with some women. And she was commenting on how in the restaurant they were at, it was only circular tables. And so the conversation was so fruitful because all of them were together. Whereas when you sit in rows, it's difficult to have that level of connectedness. But the people that we surround ourselves with, like think, think about some of the most meaningful moments throughout your life. The people that you surround yourself with in those moments have the largest impact on your life. And when I think about my life, I think about my family sitting down around a dining room table, like having dinner together, sharing stories from our day, hearing about the heartaches and the struggles of life and the ups and the downs, but sharing real life with one another. That's what I think of when I think about these circles. I think about campfires at retreats where we sat around a fire and people had given their lives to Jesus and were making these massive decisions to commit their lives, like the rest of their lives, to the Lord. I think about multiple times in college for me, sitting in my dorm room with other guys, dreaming to serve the church, both locally and globally, and how significant those moments were together. I think about times of prayer and fasting and literally watching miracles take place with 20-year-olds gathered around just seeking Jesus. And my question, my thought is, like, what might God do in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years in and through the community here in Coeur d'Alene? What might he do? Like, God's intention has always been for us to live and to grow in community. It's always been God's design. Like, the first time in Genesis that God says something is not good or is good is when, he, or something is not good is when. He, he gives this whole list of things that are good. But then he, he ends it by saying he sees man by himself and says, that's not good. Like it's not good for man to be alone. John Wesley put it this way. He said, you must find companions, must find them, or make them. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. Now, that's not to say that there's no place for quiet time in private and solitude in our life, for one-on-one time with Jesus. That's massively significant in our lives, but throughout the pages of scripture, there's no picture that we're given that we're meant to do this thing in isolation. It's a silo, just me and my buddy Jesus. I just do it, me and my buddy Jesus. Like, him and I, we're, we're just made to be together and nobody else. We were actually created to live life in community with one another. And so I wanna dive into Mark 2 this morning a story that some of you are familiar with, and I'm going to start in verse 1. It says this, Mark 2, verse 1. You guys there? You say word? word? Perfect. You're a liar if you said that and you don't have your Bible open. I'm just kidding. It says this, And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Um, Jesus had, had sort of made Capernaum his home base. This is the place from which he ministered, did most of his ministry. Verse two, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near, near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So the, this reference here to a bed, just a quick note, it's not like a Tempur-Pedic or a Casper, right? FYI. 
This was a mat. Other translations refer to this as a mat. It was a rug of sorts, like something smaller than these prayer rugs that we put out here. And so I want you to sort of enter into like the, the emotion of the story, like it's a mat. It's, it's this surface, probably smaller than these prayer rugs. That was this man's entire existence was on this mat. And so in, in the first century, someone who was paralyzed was typically believed to be cursed. Like in the public's minds, either it was a result of an accident they had and then they were cursed as a result of this accident, or they were born that way and it was some sort of a curse um, because of the sins of their parents. Like it was passed down to them through their lineage. Either way, someone who lived on a mat was not someone that anybody else would befriend. Like there was something wrong with them. By, by most metrics, that was someone who, who, who like had it coming to them at the very least. Like they deserved what it is they got. And so this man, not only could he not leave his mat, but he couldn't, probably couldn't dress himself, beat himself, go to the bathroom by himself. Like this man had been destined to this mat his whole life. That there was no way for this man to provide for himself. And he just laid on this mat hoping that somebody would give him some coins, that somebody would give him something. And so now we, we actually know very little about this man, but I wonder when this man went to sleep at night, what kinds of things did he dream about? Maybe he looked around even at the families that had walked by him on a daily basis and wished to God that he had what they had. Maybe he dreamt of walking. Maybe he dreamt of, of running, of dancing. But every morning that he woke up, he woke up with this crippling reminder that this is my reality. I'm on a mat and I will forever be on a mat. Every single day, that's my identity and that's my existence. Sounds pretty awful, doesn't it? Sounds pretty crushing. But this man's got one thing going for him because apparently this dude's got friends. And he's got real friends. He's got people that aren't just acquaintances, but like thick and thin type friends that he has that had compassion on him. And so uh, I think living in circles begins first by having actual real compassion for one another. Like actually caring about us, each other, one another. It's not simply about checking a box or, or like choosing to sort of fill an evening of your life with some sort of activity that we call community and relationship. It's about honestly seeing one another the way that Jesus sees us. Having eyes to see one another the way that Jesus sees us. And so when they hear that Jesus, this, this miracle worker, is in town, they think of their friend and they think, we've gotta get this guy to Jesus. We gotta get him to him. They think of their friend who's on this mat day in and day out, and they go, we don't have all the answers, but we think that he needs to get to Jesus. And so they pick up his mat. Now keep in mind, I imagine that it wasn't just like two houses over and just a quick like. But that they actually picked up this mat, that they hauled this man through crowds. It's hot, it's sweaty. Down streets, around corners. They're actually doing the work of getting this man to Jesus. And then they get to the house, and this is what they find. You've spent all this time carrying your buddy, Matt, to a place of healing in Jesus. They've worked hard to get there, and it says, and when they could not get near him because of the crowd. 
So, so they, they gave up and went home, right? Ah, uh, it's too busy here. Like they, they got to the house and they, they decided, well, we should just pray about it. <laughs> Let's just stand here and just pray about it, right? They sat outside like crossing their fingers and hoping that something would happen. No. What did they do? Mark tells us that they got creative, that they saw that the house was packed full of people and they have their friend with this great need and they start to get creative, they get innovative, they, they, they get intent, in, uh, intentive, they, 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 they get resourceful and sometimes real community, like real friendship requires persistence. And if you've never had a friend like that, then you've never experienced real community. Sometimes it takes creativity. Sometimes it just simply falls out of the sky. <laughs> but in this instance, it takes real intention to get this man to this place. So uh, imagine there's somebody in the group that sees this house and it's jam-packed full of people. And this person goes, I have an idea. <laughs> Not like my ideas. <laughs> this person actually cares about the person that they're with, right? Right? What if we go through the roof? <laughs> like, imagine being the dude that's like, what if we go through the roof? Now, first century roofs at this time are a little bit different than our metal roofs or our shingles on our roofs today. It would have likely been probably two feet thick. It would have been full of mud and reeds and twigs. In fact, most first century roofs were flat. They were more like porches. It was a place that people could even hang out. It was a flat service, but it was very, very thick, and it would have required like real legitimate work and labor to get every layer off to work their way down through it to get this man in. Have you ever seen a cartoon depiction of this scene? It's like a dude with one shovel, and he's just like, drop him in, you know? It's like, that's not what happened. This took work. These guys basically start remodeling the house, right? They punch this huge hole in the roof. They lower this man down right in front of Jesus. Like, imagine for a moment, please do this, that, that this would be like right now. We're gathering in this room. Imagine we're mid-gathering. All of a sudden, there's this rumbling going on above us, and you start to hear this jackhammer. Like, what in the world? is going on up there. I imagine like the, the owner of the house is looking at this whole thing and wondering if like State Farm's gonna cover it, right, Tavis? <laughs> like what, my roof is falling out. And maybe you're in the crowd and you're thinking this morning, like if that were to happen, I don't like interruptions. That's just messing with my life. Like please keep it quiet. Don't mess with me. But imagine you're the guy on this mat for a moment. I mean, pretty awkward for this dude. There's hope, but his buddies have brought him to the spot and his buddies have just taken all this time to remove the roof from this house. But what do you say in that moment? Like, He's breaking into Jesus' TED Talk and being lowered down in front of a group of people. How awkward. And, and before we see what Jesus does, like just a couple things that I want you guys to notice. One is this. When it comes to community, in community, we carry each other's mats. 
That is, that is part of our call as the body of Christ. Like everyone in this room has a mat. You all have them. This man's mat, like it, it represents the thing that he most struggles with in his life. It, it's a reminder to him of his brokenness, right? Maybe for some of you, it's overwhelming fear in your life. Maybe for some of you, there's relational issues that you have. Maybe for some of you, it's financial issues this morning. Maybe for some of you, there's addiction issues. We all have a mat. We all have it. And this man's mat, again, it represents his brokenness. And so here's what I find to be true. Particularly, this conversation about community and living life in circles is that it's often our brokenness that pushes people away. It's often our brokenness that causes distance between us and others. We're, we're afraid to let anybody in. We're afraid that people will get too close because after all, these people actually knew who I really was or, or where I've really, like if they actually knew who I was or where I've really been or, or what I've really done, would they actually love me? So I don't want them to get to know my mat, what it is I'm dealing with, where my brokenness is. And so I wanna ask, want you to ask yourself this morning, am I able to have the kind of friendship that, that lets another person close enough to see the tough stuff in your life. I don't think that's normal nowadays. I cannot tell you guys how many couples I sit with. And one of the greatest issues in the marriage is the fact that they just don't have friends. People that they entrust the difficult things of, of life with. People that know they're mad. I talk to people about this all the time. And coming out of COVID, it seems like it's even heightened. People have lived in isolation for way too long. I've been, I've been part of a ton of small groups, house churches, communities, life groups, like whatever the heck you want to call them, right? Every church has their own branded name for them. But there are a few groups that I've been a part of in my life where I actually felt like I pulled the veil back. Like they actually knew me. Where I was actually committed enough to be transparent and to be vulnerable. That they would love me even though I had a mat. <laughs> that they would grab a corner of it and help carry it. Some of us are in groups, maybe now, where you are simply, or in relationship with others, all you're doing is checking a box. I go there, we open the Bible, we talk, we pray, we go home, and that's the extent of the group that I'm connected to in my walk with Jesus. But do we actually let people close enough to see the brokenness in us, to see the messed up stuff, the difficult stuff, the messiest parts of our life? Second question, what or whose mat are you carrying this morning? Are you helping in any way to carry somebody else's mat? For this paralyzed man, his friends could have thought, like, if we get too close, I might catch what he has. In all honesty, I mean, at, th at that day and age, they're thinking, like, if somebody's got leprosy or there's something wrong with them, I don't want to get the curse that they have. I don't want to touch them. That thing could be contagious. Like, let's just stay as far away from that person as possible. Some of us in this room do the exact same thing. 
It's not about keeping our messiness at bay, right? It's that we see someone else's messiness and we say, I don't want to get involved. That's just too crazy. But, but someone else's miracle might be on the other side of your willingness to pick up the mat. Think about that this morning. In fact, a lot of us here today are here today because somebody else did that for you. I mean, I think back in my life and I think there are people who have literally carried my mat at seasons in my life. There, there are people that knew my ins and outs. I, I'm here today because I had parents that were willing to tell me the hard truth. I had mentors in my life that were willing to tell me the hard things, to help keep me on the straight and narrow, to ask the hard questions, to pray with me and to give me guidance. Like I had those people. Maybe you're here today because you have a spouse who literally has picked up a corner of your mat and drug you here this morning. And this spouse sees all of your scars, all of your wounds, all of your jacked upness, and says, I still love you. How incredible is that? How incredible is it when they say, I'm still in this with you. I'm not leaving you like we're doing this together. Maybe you're here today because somebody picked up a corner of your mat. So what does it look like for us to be people that start doing that for others? Second thing, in community, we do the hard work, guys and gals. We do the hard work. They carried him through the streets. They scaled a house. They dug a hole. They lowered him in the house. Like sometimes we think the best friendships are the easiest ones that come into our life, right? The ones that just drop in our life. But that is not always the case. Sometimes it can be that way. Sometimes there are friendships that just feel like you're putting on a glove, aren't there? But if I look back over the last 10, 15, 20 years of my life, some of my best relationships, the people I love the most that know everything about me, were the ones that required some really hard work to get through some really hard stuff. Friendships that required me to really work through difficult stuff, disagreements, seasons of trials and struggles and things in my life. We, we buy into the lie that the best things are always just the easiest things. And I don't know about you, but it's always been the opposite in my life. The most fruitful and best things have always been the hard things. Like we're trying to raise our kids now to step into the hard things, the hard conversations. Don't be a chicken. Go have the hard conversations when you need to have them because the best fruit is always produced when you step into conflict and you deal with it. That is not the society that we're raised in. The society that we're raised in says, take the thing that comes easiest from you, the, the thing that requires the least amount of conflict. And in fact, if you ever do hit conflict in a relationship or in a marriage, whatever in your life, just bail on it and go find something that's easier. That, that's the trajectory of most Americans' lives. Oh, that job's hard. Oh, you don't think you can, uh, just quit it and go find another one. Oh, that marriage was difficult. You don't think you can work it? Okay, just quit it and go move on. Oh, that friendship isn't worth fighting for? Like, it's just too difficult? Just quit it, just go move on. Like, that's the trajectory that many of us live our lives on, waiting for the easiest thing. But I will tell you this morning, the best things in my life required so much of me continue to require so much of me. Meaningful relationships in my life, community, 
requires sacrifice. Sometimes it's a struggle to do the hard work, not just to check a box, not just to show up in a space for once a week, but to actually go do the hard work, the heavy lifting, to actually get my hands dirty and invest in a relationship. Third thing, in community, we actually bring others closer to Jesus. And I think one of the best ways that we show the love of Jesus to the world is actually through friendships. I think it's actually through relationships with one another. When I was younger and just sort of getting acquainted with Christian culture, the way that we were taught to evangelize, which some of you will resonate with this, um, was often with a little tract, right? Anybody ever do that? And you're supposed to take this little book and you're supposed to walk up to a complete stranger and you're supposed to say to them, if you were to die tonight, do you know where you would go? And people are like, what's in your hands? Like, the answer to that question. And they're like, you're creepy. You know, like, it just doesn't work. Maybe there was a day that it worked. Like, there's stories in the room probably of people that gave their lives to Jesus through a track by God's grace. But man, I've gotten some weird looks from people over the years when I've tried to do that kind of evangelism. But I think one of the best ways that we show Jesus' love to other people is by being a friend. But by loving them with the kind of love that they can't categorize and make sense of, right? They just can't understand it. Like we have something to offer and we have something to gain. Like whether you've been on this journey for 30 years or 30 days, you need friendships to bring you closer to Jesus. You need those relationships to show us the stuff in our lives that we couldn't see on our own, for people to, to sort of reflect the love of God to us in seasons, and maybe you're even thinking today, like, I'm just too busy, like, I don't know the Bible enough, I, I tried a group like that once, and it really didn't work out, it was super awkward, like, we've all felt like that, I don't have time for group, a group, like, I don't have time to connect in community with people, many of us, like, throw out that, like, I don't have enough knowledge, I don't have enough understanding. I tried it once, it didn't go great. And this morning I'm gonna to say to you, welcome. <laughs> welcome to a group of people in this church that do not have things figured out. We're all a bit socially awkward in trying to make sense of this thing. We all really wanna love Jesus. We all really do want those relationships and don't know where to start. We all do want somebody to ask us the hard questions. We all really do want people to know the innermost parts of us because there's some sort of freedom in that. Knowing that you're not alone in the struggle and that somebody else is praying for you, interceding with you, walking with you. But if we're gonna move forward as a church, we have to prioritize these circles. Like, you have to do it. Like, we have to move from the comfort of these rows to, into the difficulty of circles, those relationships in our life. And I realize that it's difficult. And there are times where we're gonna hit real struggle and we're gonna hit real disagreements, but we're also gonna hit times where the bottom drops out from under us and we look around and we sort of say, who are the people that I can call upon? I need help. And I love the way that, that Helen Keller puts it. She said, walking with a friend in the dark is better than walking alone in the light. There's something significant about having a friend with you. Man, th there are some people in my life that, that have walked with me through seasons 
that I didn't know how I would get through. They reminded me of the truth of the gospel. They reminded me of who I am in Jesus. They encouraged me that he's not done with me yet. And some of those moments, those valleys in my life have been the most significant because somebody said, you're not finished. I know you feel stuck there. I know it's hard, but God's not done. Moving on in Mark 2. I think there's more to this story. It says this in verse five. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. I seriously love this about Jesus. Jesus doesn't see their vandalism, does he? <laughs> what does Jesus see? Their faith. They just ripped the roof off some dude's house. And Jesus sees their faith. Like, Jesus could have easily said, like, what's up with the roof, man? Like, you guys couldn't wait 20 minutes? Like, I would open things up. You could have brought them in. Jesus doesn't say that. that. That pursuit to get their friend in front of Jesus, like, that belief at the core that, that if they could just get their friend to Jesus, they believed that it would change everything for this man. Do we have that kind of a burden for friends? Do we? Do, do we have that kind of a burning desire in us? Like, listen, I don't have every answer to your questions, but if I could just introduce you to Jesus, if I could just get you to him, I mean, that's what a testimony is, right? My life before Jesus, like how I met Jesus, how my life has changed since Jesus, it's not like, now I don't have any doubts or questions anymore. I got it all figured out because now I know Jesus. Like, that wasn't our story. Like, I have every theological T crossed and every I dotted, and I've got it all figured out. But it's a burden for the people in our lives that leads us to say, if I could just get you to Jesus, is our faith characterized like that? Is it like that? to be close to Jesus, to be changed by Jesus? Do we honestly pray those kind of prayers, like so bold that it makes people around us nervous, right? That, that, that almost makes them worry about us. Like, man, that person actually believes. They actually believe that stuff. I love that Jesus sees their faith in this passage, too. He doesn't see the faith of the paralyzed man, right? We have no idea if this guy has any faith at all or if he's squirming and he's uncomfortable. But what Jesus sees is the faith of his friends that got him to Jesus. Sometimes, even in our lives, you guys, we believe for other people. We hope for other people. We want to get them to their place of healing. Sometimes in our faith, we sort of loan Ours to them, like our strength and, and our courage and our assurance. Like when they don't have any and their tank is empty, how many of you guys have been in places where you felt like that and somebody stepped in that was like, you got this. I'm with you. Like I'm gonna make sure you get there. Like have you seen Jesus? And Jesus sees the faith of these friends that believe we don't know what's gonna happen, but if we could just get them to Jesus, it might change everything. And is our faith characterized like that? 
So then Jesus does something super surprising. They, they lower this paralyzed man in front of Jesus, and then Jesus says to the man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, if I'm one of the friends on the roof, I'm a little bit confused at this point. I'm like, I'm sorry, what did he just say? His sins are forgiven? We didn't bring him here for that. We, we brought him here to get healed. That's not what we came for. Actually, we came here for a healing. We're not asking for the invisible healing. We're asking for you to make him walk. That's why we carried him here. That's why we broke through the roof. It's why we lowered him to you. And I imagine this man thinks, if only I could walk, everything would be great. There'd be no problems from here on out. I'd have it perfect. But what Jesus is saying is that no material prosperity, no physical condition, that nothing is more important than having a right, a right relationship with God. That's what Jesus is saying. You came here for that. I want you to have something that lasts forever. Because even if I heal you now, one day you're going to die. One day you're going to get sick again. One day you will have an ailment once again. And he says to the man, you, you, you think your legs are the greatest need, but they're not, <laughs> right? Your greatest need is right relationship with your creator. And so now Jesus isn't unconcerned with this guy's physical healing. Like, you'll see that in a second. But what Jesus is doing here is fascinating because everyone in the room would have known exactly what they were anticipating. This man is clearly paralyzed. Jesus, do the thing that we expect you to do. And Jesus, as he often does, turns the whole thing on its head, right? Church. Whatever you think your greatest need is right now, how many of you guys have a need right now? Something that's just like making you anxious, stressing you out, you can't stop thinking about it. You lay in bed at night and all you think about is this thing. Be honest with me, how many of you have that need right now? Can I encourage you? That that need is secondary at best. Because if you don't know Jesus, that need means nothing. Jesus wants to meet you in this place. It's not that he's unconcerned with your struggle, but he cares way more about your soul. Not that he's unconcerned with your situation, or that he's unconcerned with your pain or your struggle, but Jesus' highest aim and his priority is that he wouldn't just simply have your Sunday mornings. Please hear me in this. He doesn't just want this two hours that you give him on a Sunday. He doesn't just want the check that you write or the good deed that you do. Jesus wants your entire life. Jesus wants you to have the thing that matters most. And Jesus did not come to add to the sum total of your happiness in your life. He came to meet a real need in your heart and in your soul, and that's what he does for this man. Go on to verse six. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, 
rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and he went out before them all so that they all were amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. It's pretty pretty interesting thing to forgive sins, isn't it? Especially if you're not sure that they've ever even met before. (laughs) Like if this morning Josh Borges punched me in the face and then Shane Bidler said, Josh, I forgive you. I'd be like, well, it's not really yours to forgive. He punched me in the face. I'm the one with the messed up jaw. Like, I'm the one that he needs to forgive. But part of what Jesus is clarifying here is that all sins are ultimately against God. Like, there's sins against each other. There's absolutely a place where we forgive one another. But the forgiveness of sins actually comes from God, and it comes from God alone. And Jesus asked, which is easier? Because Jesus knows that the kind of forgiveness that he's going to offer is actually going to require his entire life. Jesus knows that we really need, what we really need, and he knows that he can actually supply that need. Jesus is the sum and the substance of all of God's promises. Everything is in Christ. Like, if you're in Christ, you lack nothing. Some of us have been killing ourselves trying to acquire everything we can, and yet escaping the fact that real freedom, real substance, only comes freely in Christ Jesus. Like we're spending our hours and our time and our energy on like mental real estate trying to achieve, we're trying to accomplish, we're trying to acquire all the things that have already been given to us in Christ Jesus. And so that's the good news of the gospel. One of the greatest lies of our era is that we are one success away from true happiness. Right, that, that, that we're just one success away from contentment. We talked about this a few weeks ago. That we're just one win away from really feeling complete in my identity, right? Like I'm telling you that those are the things that only Jesus himself can offer. So these friends, they bring their friend to Jesus expecting one thing and Jesus does something totally different. In verse 12, it says that they were all amazed and they glorified God saying, we've never seen anything like this. This word that's used here, this word amazed in the Greek is existemi. And sometimes when we read the word amazed, like in churchy language, in churchy context, in our Bibles, we sort of think like a golf clap. That was amazing. Great shot. Truly, truly the best you could do. But this word in the Greek, the only reason I'm sharing it with you is because it literally means like their minds were blown. There was just like no way to fathom or understand what it was that was taking place. I'll sort of end with this and I'll invite the worship team to come up. But I really believe, church, that when we commit together to the stuff that happens in between Sundays, like from Monday to Saturday, when we commit to living our lives in relationship and community and circles, not just in these rows, when we commit to picking up each other's mats and bringing each other to Jesus day in and day out, it's not just like a good, wise, smart thing to do. I actually believe that God will amaze us. 
I believe that he will do things in our midst that we don't even have the courage to pray for on our own. We've talked about spiritual gifts the last eight weeks and the Holy Spirit. And the fact that these gifts are all meant to work together in the church. Like there's something sweet about the church utilizing these together. And I believe that we find healing and purpose and meaning and reconciliation again and again and again and again when we choose to do life with one another in circles. So three things that I'm sort of going to challenge you guys with this morning that I'll leave you with. One, get connected. And when I say that, it's just not some platitude because we want to just beef up our small groups program. It's like, look around this room. There are people here who desperately need the relationship with one another. People that are going to carry their mats and people whose mats you're going to carry that you're going to commit to one another and walk with one another and pray with one another, study scripture with one another, continue to lead one another to Jesus. The second thing you're going to do beyond getting connected is staying connected because that becomes the hardest task. It's easy to sign on a dotted line. It's really difficult to continue to stay connected, to show up, to be consistent. Like an hour or two a week or, or a month is not enough to truly follow Jesus in your life. Those of you that have served Jesus for 30, 40 years of your life know that it actually is something you invest time in. You commit to a season to go really deep and you commit to really being present and vulnerable. Like you carry one another's mats and you also allow yours to be carried. And the third thing is really easy is that we should have a burden to invite somebody else into this journey. Like there should be something in us that's just like, I'm not cool doing this on my own. Like, I actually know the people that I want to be on this journey with me. Like, maybe they don't know Jesus, or maybe they do, and they live their life in isolation, and they need the relationship, but you've never broached that conversation with one another. I was just telling my wife this week, I have lots of relationships in my life. A lot of them are very small talk. Like, we can bro down about really cool things real fast. There's a handful of relationships I have that every time I have them, they go deep quick, and they have access to my heart to ask really hard questions, and I know that when they ask them, they mean them, and I know that I can return the favor. Those are relationships with people that I'm forever grateful to Jesus for. But those relationships are 20, 30 years in the making. Those did not come overnight. There's an author um, who has a pretty significant story that wrote this statement about community and life together Um, And she said this, she said, when folks gather around a system of shared belief, the price of acceptance in the group is usually agreement, which means the greatest value stated or not is being right. Unfortunately, this often creates an atmosphere of fear and performance, which in turn invites conformity. But when people gather, listen to this, but when people gather around a shared need for healing, the price of acceptance in the group is usually vulnerability which means the greatest value stated or not is being real. This tends to foster an atmosphere of safety and participation, which in turn invites community, church. We all at some point in our lives were spiritually paralyzed. We all in our lives at some point were unable to do anything to earn or deserve God's favor in our life. My guess is that somebody picked up a corner of your mat and thought, if I could just get him to Jesus... And your whole story started in that moment. Somebody introduced you to Christ. Somebody picked up, they had that burden for you. They loved you enough to send that invitation to you and invite you to follow Jesus. 
what would it look like for us as a church to do the courageous thing, to join with a group of people, to actually go deeper together. And here's sort of my conviction that I'll end with, the last statement, that when we live our lives in circles, when we do life together, lost people get found, right? Amen? They do. Found people grow, they mature. Lonely people find family. Hurting people find healing. Bored people find purpose. Our cities actually become hopeful and find hope. And literally the kingdom comes from heaven to earth. As we always pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So my challenge for you is this is not about filling your schedules. This is not about providing another appointment on your agenda for the week. But this is about ushering in the kingdom of God to a world that desperately needs it, a world that is desperate for hope and healing and life and purpose. And we all sit around and twiddle, twiddle our thumbs. Like, well, what, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know if anybody likes me. I know I need this. Like, we ask these questions. We isolate ourselves. We make our lives the most important thing. Can we become a people that don't look at this as another agenda item? But look at this as the life that Jesus has called us to live. And if you're going to call yourself a follower of Jesus, you don't just devote yourself to prayer and studying his word. You devote yourself to one another. That's significant. Would you guys stand with me? I'm going to pray with you this morning. If you're here this morning, and maybe you're one of those people that feels lost. You've never devoted your life to Jesus, man, I, I prayed this morning that the Lord would tug on your heart, that you'd respond in a way of saying like, Jesus, I believe that you lived a perfect life, that you died a brutal death, that you were raised again from the dead, that your forgiveness I can receive, your salvation I can receive, and that I can walk in the peace and the power of the Most High God as a result of his death and resurrection. If that's you, just call upon him this morning. There's nothing weird you have to do. You ask him to come. There's some of you in this room that have struggled to grow and mature in your relationship with Jesus. And some of that is because you've choose to try, chosen to try to do this on your own. There's some of you in this room that are lonely, desperately need family, people to step in and be these friends. There's some of you in this room that need healing, and I believe that the prayers for healing and the people to walk with you on the journey might be in this room this morning. Some of you are just bored, wasting time, can't figure out what your purpose is. And this morning, might you be reminded that there's one purpose you have, to find and follow Jesus, to surrender your life to him, and to follow him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the last thing is, man, I really hope that our city can find hope because I don't know how much time I spend with people in our community that are just significantly hurting and hopeless thinking that this whole thing is just destined to hell but yet we stand on the rock who is Jesus we know that life exists after death in eternity with Christ we know that our hope is not grounded here in the now but our hope is grounded in eternity with Christ and might we be a place 
that people can find this hope, that they can find that friendship, that they can find their purpose, that they can be anchored to something greater than themselves through the relationships even that you're able to forge with them and the work that you do with them. Will you carry somebody else's mat and will you allow somebody else to help carry yours? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. I thank you for just the power of relationship in our life. I thank you for the people of people that I've had in my life that I would not be standing here today if it wasn't for their investment and for their prayers, their willingness to ha ask hard questions and to stand with me in seasons where I wanted nothing less than to walk away. And I thank you for their lives, Jesus. I pray this morning that this church would find relationship like that with one another. God, that we would not look at community and small groups and these things as just something we check off to be part of the church and gain membership. But rather, it'd be an opportunity we see to forge relationships that we need. People that can support us when the ground falls out from underneath us in our lives. People to walk with us in times of marital distress, sickness, and pain, and hurt. And I'm just praying, Jesus, that we would be the church, that we'd rise up, that we'd stop twiddling our thumbs, that we'd stop being a people that just sit around and go through the games and the motions of playing church, but we'd be a people that actually engage in the work that you called us to, believing that you are the God you said you are, and believing that you will continue to do the things and fulfill the promises you've given to us. Jesus, bless your church this morning. Empower them supernaturally. Bring those relationships together, Lord, that they would find one another. Even this morning, God, I pray you'd be doing a work there, a greater work to bring us together in deeper relationship. And I pray, God, your hand be upon your church, that as we leave these four walls, we be supernaturally empowered by your spirit to be the salt and the light in the community that you've called us to. And we pray all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you're here this morning, while we're singing worship, we're going to have a prayer team up here. And if any of you, like if there's marriage issues, there's sickness, there's relational things you're going through, there's stress, anxiety, fear, like all kinds of stuff that you feel are your, your concerns you have in your life. Our prayer team would love the opportunity to pray with you this morning, and I encourage you to come forward to receive prayer. Let's sing.